Good evening, everyone. We're going to um, <clears throat> we're going to be continuing in our series of studies through the letters of John, and we're in the second of three studies in the final letter, Third John. So tonight, Lord willing, we'll be looking at verses five through eight. If you want to head over in that direction. Before we get started, I'll give you just a a brief review. I just want to remind us all of the main theme of 3 John, and that is that participating in the work of those who are true ministers of the Lord Jesus, it's a display. It is evidence, not the only evidence, but it is evidence of a genuine and faithful relationship with the Lord Jesus. That Christian hospitality and and meeting specific needs of those who do the work of the Lord is both pleasing to the Lord and it's an encouragement to other believers around us. By definition, this participation in the work of, like I said, those who are true ministers of the Lord Jesus, it's always going to be rooted in sound doctrine. As we learned back in 2 John, we are not to participate in the work of those who John identifies as false teachers of God's word. Those who proclaim, those who teach, and those who influence the church in doctrines that are contrary to the truth of God's word. Now, here in 3 John, we are learning the importance and the value of participating in the work of those who proclaim, teach, and influence the church in ways that are consistent with the truth of God's word. Now, John's focus in the first four verses, which we looked at last time, was on Gaius and his commitment to God's truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth found in the gospel, the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And in this next section that we'll be looking at tonight, John continues to commend his very dear friend, Gaius, but he shifts his focus to another element of Gaius's character. So let me read to you verses 5 through 8, and then we will dig into the study. Beginning in verse 5, he says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Okay, let's look at verse 5 together here. The apostle begins this section addressing Gaius as beloved. Now, this is, this is now the fourth time that John has expressed this committed love that he has for Gaius in the, in the short opening of this letter. In the first four verses, which we looked at last time, John emphasizes that, that Gaius is fully committed 
to the truth, to the truth of who Jesus is, to the truth of what Jesus taught. Remember in verse 3, he said, speaking to Gaius, indeed, you are walking in the truth. And John links this life commitment that Gaius has to God's truth with his love, John's love for Gaius. In verse 1, he says, again, speaking of Gaius, he says, whom I love in truth. Now, by this opening address to Gaius in verse 5, again, he calls him beloved. We see that John is still linking his love for Gaius. But what we're going to see is that now he's not linking it to Gaius's commitment to truth. He's linking it to Gaius's commitment to love, to God's love. Specifically, his expressions of God's love to the brethren. And then particularly in this letter, what we're talking about is those who are active in the ministry of God's word. So John here is once again, he's teaching us that in God's economy, truth, absolute truth, God's truth and God's love are linked and they're inseparably linked. Literally, you cannot have one without the other. We studied this back in 2 John, the verses 1 through 3, that it is impossible to love, to agape love one another, the brethren, apart from the absolute truth of the gospel. And likewise, it's impossible to know the truth, to embrace the truth, to have experienced new birth. It's impossible to be truly born again, have a true relationship with the Lord Jesus and not express agape to the brethren. This was one of John's tests in 1 John that defines true believers and exposes false believers. It's this truth that was under attack by the Antichrists the truth of the gospel, the truth of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And protecting this truth was so important to John because outside of it, outside of this truth, true Christian love and true Christian fellowship just simply does not, really cannot exist. And then now what we're, what we're seeing here in 3 John is that the apostle is shifting his focus from protecting that truth to the importance of sharing that truth. And that is, of course, always and only accomplished through God's love. Now, in verse 1, he goes on to say, It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers, as they are. Now, his reference to these brothers, they are those that he referenced back in verse 3. And as I explained last time, their names, their exact numbers, they're not given. But these brothers are clearly trustworthy believers who traveled between John's location and the church where Gaius resides. Their precise identity is not known, but taken within the context of the letter, the entire letter, 
They were most likely, I am convinced, that they were Christian workers who went out on gospel-sharing missions, missionaries. And they would bring reports back to John of the various towns and churches (coughs) that they visited. Now, John references the faithful thing that Gaius did. That faithful thing was to show these brothers Christian hospitality. And we'll be developing more of the specifics of Gaius' hospitality in in just a few minutes when we get to verses 6, 7, and 8. But for now, I want to spend a little bit of time and look at Christian hospitality in the general sense. It's something that all believers are called by God to extend to one another. And I've got, I've got four passages that I want to read to you. And I know that's a little more than, than I usually do or, or probably should. But what I want to do is I just want to read these four passages to you for this purpose. I want to draw your attention to the emphasis that the Lord puts on Christian hospitality um, among the brethren. So just listen, you don't need to turn there, but just, just listen while I read these passages to you. The first one is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Next one is from 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. It says, Let a widow be enrolled... If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a good reputation for good, excuse me, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. Next one is 1 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is directed to elders. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that is elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Then the final one is... Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, obviously, these are not the only four verses or four passages in Scripture that speaks to hospitality, but I hope that I've demonstrated that it's important to the Lord that we are hospitable to one another. Now, the Greek word translated to hospitality in each of these verses, each of these passages that I've read to you, it literally means to befriend, 
to be kind to or to love strangers. Now, strangers in this context are identified as travelers or visitors who we don't necessarily know or have a relationship with. In our culture and society, we tend to use the word stranger as a pejorative, that is, a, a, a word with negative connotations. We tend to regard strangers with caution or even suspicion as a first response. The concept of hospitality in these passages doesn't view strangers in this way, doesn't view strangers with suspicion. It actually involves expressing love, care, concern um, for strangers. And the meaning of hospitality in each of these verses has to do with things like providing a place to stay for someone who is visiting or who is traveling through, providing meals for someone, providing other basic needs for somebody who is visiting in this way. Things like means of transportation, maybe money for incidental expenses. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's, it's dealing with this type of what we call hospitality. Now, in 3 John, the apostle identifies these brothers as strangers. Uh, presumably, this is because Gaius didn't know them personally when they first came to his town. The report that John received about Gaius is that he faithfully expresses Christian hospitality to these brothers who travel from town to town and who were strangers to him, to Gaius. There's a connection here that I don't want to miss, or I don't want you to miss, between the principle that John taught in 2 John, the principle that he's teaching here about hospitality. And that that connection is discernment. Discernment on Gaius' part here. Gaius discerned that these strangers were indeed brothers. He discerned that they were truly confessing the coming of the Lord Jesus in the flesh, that they did indeed abide in the teaching of the Lord Jesus. How do I know this? We can be confident of this discernment on Gaius's part for two reasons that I see. Number one, and I, I mentioned Second John, John issued a warning in Second John. In verse 8, and that was to be, or, or not to be, complacent, but to be on guard against those deceivers who go out claiming to be teachers of God's word, but who are not. He issued that warning. And if we, if we connect that with what he's, he's, he's teaching here, or, or what he's doing here, he's commending Gaius for supporting these strangers. So, without discernment, Gaius wouldn't have known or at least been confident that these strangers were actually true brothers. 
and true teachers of God's word. I point this out for this reason. This should be a reminder to us of the importance of discernment before connecting ourselves in any way to a person or organization claiming to be doing God's work simply because they're claiming to be doing so. Simply because a person or an organization calls themselves Christian or claims to be doing God's work doesn't necessarily mean that they actually are. We need to be, as Gaius was, clearly discerning. Now, John refers here to, speaking of Gaius, he refers to all your efforts. He's not explicit about what Gaius did for these brothers, but implied, I think clearly implied here, is that he provided for them during their stay. He provided things like a place to stay so that they would have reasonably comfortable accommodations. This would, this would make their stay as pleasant as possible. And that's why is that important? It gives them the ability to focus more or all of their attention on their mission, on what they are there to do, preaching the gospel and teaching God's word. He provided for them food to eat, again, so that their attention was on what they're there to do. Their attention was not divided between the work that they were there to do and worrying about procuring each meal during their stay. They could count on that. Then, when their task was finished in that particular town, and they were ready to move on to the next town, he would make adequate provision for their trip to the next town. John's use of the word faithful here, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts. This links together the walking in truth, which John rejoiced so greatly over. We talked about that in verses three and four. It links that with the love that Gaius is characterized by expressing. See, John recognizes that Gaius's actions are a testimony of his faithfulness in that they are acts of love, agape love, that are consistent with the truth that he professes. John is seeing his actions and his profession being uh, consistent. Okay, verse 6. He says, Who testified, the brothers, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So these brothers, these traveling ministers, had told John of the things that Gaius had done. They had reported to him Gaius's efforts. And apparently this was not a private conversation that they had with John. This was something that had been told to the entire congregation. Now this is, 
I see this as, as being similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar to when Tim travels to Africa and ministers to the brothers there. When he gets back, he comes home. What does he do? He gives a report, a ministry report to the entire church, right? See, we're all involved in that work. We're all involved in Tim's ministry efforts in Africa. We're involved in a lot of ways. Again, I've got a short list. It's not, it's not exhaustive, but certainly financial support, right? We, we financially support Tim going to Africa. We certainly support him in prayer, support the work in prayer. We offer support by continuing the ministry at Tree of Life in his absence. He leaves for 10 days, two weeks. We don't shut the doors, do we? We continue. We, we, we fill in the gaps of where Tim is absent here, and we continue the ministry here. So in a real way, when Tim goes to Africa, he doesn't make these trips on his own. He's sent certainly by, and in a very real sense, with Tree of Life, with each one of us who participate in it, and praise God for that. So perhaps it was a similar type of situation with John's home church and these brothers. We're not told. I don't know. But whatever the actual situation was, it was a blessing And it was an encouragement for the entire congregation to hear the ministry report and to hear the report of Gaius's faithful love. And I want to point something out. Notice that they testified of Gaius's love, not merely his actions. See, he says, who testified to your love before the church. So here John recognizes that Gaius's actions, he recognizes his actions as expressions of agape love. God's love. Love that originates where? With God. Doesn't originate with Gaius. Didn't originate from John or from the brothers. It originates from God. See, it's the love, and we've, we've studied agape love many times before together, right? It's love that Jesus poured into Gaius, and then Gaius now pours into these brothers. This is, as we've studied before, it's a fundamental principle of agape love, of God's love. Gaius's motivation for helping these brothers was much more than, than simply things like shared personal interests or personal fondness for one another. He might have experienced that, but that wasn't his, his motivation here. The point is, is that Gaius recognized these brothers, even though they were strangers to him at first, he recognized that they were true teachers, true ministers of God's word, brothers. And as such, he was compelled by the very love that the Lord Jesus had shown him, he was compelled to return that love to these 
brothers. Remember in our last study, I talked about how how, uh, John was bound in love, in God's love to Gaius. Well, Gaius was bound in that same love to these brothers the same way. He was bound to them in agape love. And once again, where was that bond forged? It was not with Gaius, not with John, not with the brothers. That bond of love was forged by the Lord Jesus himself on the cross. And one last thing that I want to point out before I move on is the wording in this verse. Notice how he says, your love, who testified to your love before the church. This parallels the wording that John used back in verse 3. And we, um, we examined that at the time. Your truth, he talked about in verse 3. Well, John's point here is the same, similar as it was in verse 3. His point here is that he, the brothers, and all the saints see in Gaius that Gaius is so committed to God's love, the same way he's committed to God's truth. He's so committed to God's love that he is actually now identified with God's love. God's love is called your love, Gaius's love. Gaius is so closely connected to and intertwined with God's agape love that it's identified as your love. And once again, I would say this is a characteristic, an identification that we should all desire and strive for. We should all want to be identified in the same way by others. Okay, now he goes on to say, you will do well to send them on their journey. Send them on their journey uh, supports the idea that these brothers were uh, preachers who traveled from town to town. And Gaius's efforts um, extended to these brothers, no doubt included these things that I've mentioned before, offering or or arranging for a comfortable place to stay, providing with them with food while they were while they were there, taking care of any legitimate monetary needs that they might have. In other words, creating an environment for them in which their basic needs would be fully satisfied and that they would be and feel refreshed. What's this doing for them? It's easing their burden for the purpose of so that they could better focus on the proclamation of God's word. They could focus on what they were there to do, what they had been sent there to do by the Lord. We see John commending Gaius in in verse 5 for his efforts, and then here in verse 6, encouraging him to continue these efforts on into the future. In other words, what he's saying to him is, take care of them while they are there with you, 
and also send them on their way with adequate provision. I think that John's commending Gaius here is a reminder to us of the importance of encouraging one another. The way it's written in in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We should always remember, never forget to encourage one another in these things. And then John gives a very specific description of how these brothers are to be sent on their journey, sent forward on to the next stage, the next leg of their mission. He says to do so in a manner worthy of God. Remember, these men are servants of God. They're representatives of the Lord. They represent him in a very specific and in a very significant way in what they're doing. They are proclaiming his word. They're teaching and preaching his truth. They're fulfilling the assignment that they have received from him. And they should be treated accordingly in a manner worthy of God himself. Now, it's not that they in and of themselves were somehow above working for or paying their own way. If needs be, they can and should do just that. But if the church can ease their burden, even just a little bit, shouldn't they? I mean, their work for the kingdom will be even more effective. Sending them on their continued journey, refreshed and well-rested, food in their pack, money in their pocket, so to speak, is sending them out in a manner worthy of God. It is certainly pleasing to God, and it's participating in that work. I say, praise God for that. Verse 7, he says, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now here John gives the very reason that these brothers and what they're doing are worthy of the church's support. And I would say, They're not only worthy, but supporting them is an actual function of or or an obligation of the church. Look for a moment at verse 8, where he says, we ought to support people like these. The word ought here translates the Greek word ophelio. The literal meaning of that Greek word is to owe or to be indebted to, to be obligated to. 
So this really goes beyond the church merely doing a nice thing for these brothers. You see, in supporting those who are truly doing the Lord's work, we are fulfilling an obligation that the Lord has given to us. Fulfilling the very reason he provides us with the resources to support them. Now, I know that sometimes we, we, um, we contribute sacrificially. But I think for most of us, we could say that um, we have resources above and beyond our, our um, basic needs. Why do we have those resources that go above and beyond our basic needs? Well, maybe the Lord's given us those to support his work. This is John's point when he, when he says that they have gone out for the sake of the name. The name was their motivation. Why did these guys, why were they doing what they were doing? Well, to whom John is referring when he says the name should be obvious to us. And I think the reason that John didn't feel the need to specify who he was talking about here is because he was confident that it was obvious to Gaius. Okay, he's referring to the Lord Jesus, right? These brothers went from town to town sharing the gospel, sharing the message of salvation. The Lord Jesus was their motivation. They were doing it because he had assigned that work to them. And he had given them, brought them salvation. So Jesus was the motivation. Jesus is the motivation of all true ministers of God. So Jesus is why they were worthy to be supported by the church. See, when the Lord directs individuals within the church to go out and do specific work that he has given them to do, he wants, he desires, he expects, and he provides for the brethren to support the work. Full support. Finances, certainly. But prayer, practical help, any type of assistance that will further the work. And these were all the things that Gaius was providing. There is um, an important takeaway here that I don't want to miss. And that is this. Just as proper discernment and not supporting workers who are not doing the Lord's work, but who claim to be, that's important. In the same way, not withholding from those who are doing the true work of the Lord is just as important, if not more important. We should always consider why the Lord provides us with resources. And like I said before, resources above and beyond our essential needs. Why is that? 
why, I mean, why do we have so much? Well, I think the Lord gives us above and beyond our essential needs for his purposes, for kingdom purposes. I always think of gentlemen by the name of R.G. Letourneau. I don't know if you're familiar with that name or not, but he was in the early, early 20th century. He was an inventor. He invented these giant earth-moving machines and vehicles. And through the course of his career, uh, Latourneau was a was a a brother in the Lord. He was a believer. And through the course of his um, career, he made a lot of money. He made millions and millions and millions of dollars. And keep in mind, this was in the early, early 1900s. So, I mean, that sounds like a lot now. It was a lot more back then, right? And one of the things that, that Latourneau is is famous for, like if you do a Google search on him, you know, one of the things that you'll read about him is that he gave 90% of his income, all of the money that he made all through his career, he gave 90% of it back to the Lord. He lived off of 10%. Now, I'm not saying that we should all necessarily do that. What I'm saying is that it is a... um, it's an encouraging story. It's a heartwarming story to know that, that, that this man gave so much back to the Lord. <coughs> it um, should motivate us to examine our habits. It does for me, I should say. Okay, uh, and this leads us into John's very next point where he says... Um, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, let me start by explaining that uh, the word here, Gentiles, uh, this is not, I'm convinced that this is not a reference to non-Jews. Think about this. There were most likely many non-Jews in the churches uh, that John wrote to, and he was encouraging them also to uh, contribute to and to support these, these traveling brothers. Uh, the Greek word that he used can definitely be translated to Gentile, but it can also be translated as pagan or unbeliever. And I believe that's, that's who John was referring to. I believe his reference was to pagans and unbelievers. The point of this passage is this, that the Lord's work is meant to be supported by the Lord's people. Look at verse 8 again. He says, we ought to support people like these. We ought to support them. The we here is referring to the brethren, the members of the local churches to which these brothers traveled. These brothers were doing the Lord's work. And they relied upon the Lord to provide for them. I think that it's similar in principle to when the Lord Jesus sent out his disciples and charged them to take nothing with them on their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money. 
not to take any of that, that he would provide for them along the way. See, it was a common practice in those days for wandering teachers of all types to support themselves by going into a town and literally begging for money, begging for support while they were there. These brothers were different, very different. They were sent by the Lord. They were there doing the Lord's work, and they relied upon the Lord. In our culture today, we would say that they were not fundraisers, okay? They didn't do things like send out letters asking for money for their mission or canvassing neighborhoods or anything like that that we see so much of today. They were sent by the Lord, they were doing the Lord's work, and they relied solely on the Lord and His provision through the local churches. Praise God. Okay, verse 8. He says, Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, I've already made some good points uh, uh, regarding verse 8. But I do want to draw your attention before I close to two additional points, or two important points, rather, that John makes in this verse. Point number one is this. He draws a sharp contrast between these brothers and the false teachers that we looked at in 2 John. In 2 John, I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. He says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, Or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So the the church's response to false teachers, those who claim to be doing the work of the Lord but who aren't really, the church's response is don't allow them any opportunity to teach or to spread their false doctrine. Don't even allow them to participate in the services. Don't support their evil ministry by offering them a place to sleep, food to eat, money to ease their burden, or any resource that might further their ministry. But here, the church's response to true teachers those who are following the Lord's direction and faithfully fulfilling the assignment the Lord has given them. What's the church's response there? What should it be? Make room for them. Give them opportunity to exercise their gifts, to do the Lord's work, to fulfill their assignment. Welcome them into the fellowship of the saints, right? Support them and the work that they are doing. And again, Things like place to sleep, food to eat, money if needs be, to to ease their burden, any resources that might further their ministry. So the point of this contrast is, once again, that we must be discerning in who and what we support. 
The Lord provides us, you know, we've, we've, I've, I've talked a couple times about the resources that the Lord provides us with. Well, he provides us resources for the purpose of supporting his work, his actual work. I would say consider his purpose, his purpose in blessing you with the resources that you have. There are many out there who do work that has really nothing to do with the Lord, but they attach his name to it. Keep in mind that just because an organization has the word Christian in its name, or it includes a cross in its logo, or any other method of attaching the Lord's name to it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are truly doing the Lord's work. We must be discerning. We must be discerning. And then the second point in this verse is to be fellow workers for the truth. Ministry, connection, and support of work that the Lord has directed becomes participation in that work. In a, in a, in a, in a very real sense, their work uh, actually becomes your work when you participate in it at any level. It, it creates a situation whereby we all, in, in the context of Third John here, or the passage that we're studying tonight, the brothers and the supporters are actually working together in the mission. It's the Lord's work. The Lord's work. And he has designated many parts to work together to accomplish that work. This type of support, the giving of your resources, whatever those resources may be, is actually playing your part in accomplishing the Lord's work. This type of support serves as as an incredible encouragement to the brothers who were doing the work. I think that if you asked him, well, he's testified before, that our participation, our support, and I'm not talking about just money, but it certainly includes money, that our support is an incredible, incredible uh, encouragement to him. So it is an encouragement to the brothers doing the work. It also serves as a wonderful example to other believers within the church. It's exactly what the Lord desires and what gives John such great joy. He states that it is his greatest joy. And just think about this. If this type of support, this type of of, um, participation gives John, the apostle, such great joy, imagine the joy that it brings to the Lord. What a blessed opportunity we have to support the Lord's work and to bring him such joy in doing so. In closing, I want to I say this, that this principle that I've been describing here is at work, I believe is at work, every time we send Tim or Jay to Africa. When Tim goes to teach at a pastor's conference, 
It's he who prepares the teaching outlines. It's he who sacrifices time away from his home. It's he who travels under less than ideal conditions and teaches under less than ideal conditions, right? He does all of that. But we share in the work with him. We are, in a real sense, fellow workers for the truth. Again, we offer financial support. We offer prayer. We, we fill in for him while he's away in so many ways. Here in the, in the ministry and at home. You know, his, his wife is by herself. He's away. Things happen. She has us to call. It's a blessing. It's a blessing in so many ways because by doing this, we are blessed. Tim's pointed this out before. We are blessed by sharing in the eternal rewards for accomplishing the Lord's work. Tim is blessed by being confident, by being refreshed. He knows that when he goes, all is taken care of in his absence. Right? He can be somewhat singularly focused on what he's doing. He doesn't need to worry about what's being left behind because he knows we're taking care of it. It's a blessing to the brothers in Africa. They're blessed by Tim being able to be there. You know? And it's not, as, as he has testified, it's not only the teaching. The teaching is definitely a blessing to them. But him being there is a blessing to them. And the church is blessed. The church is blessed by those who might not be participating, seeing our participation and being encouraged to begin participating themselves. And it also serves as a good example for the young people who are growing up here in the church to experience this, to witness this. So the architect of every true work of the Lord is the Lord himself. He has designed the work. He has assigned the workers, all of the workers, for the work. And he has provided all of the resources necessary for the work. I'll leave you with this. Don't ever miss out on the opportunity to play your part, to participate in the Lord's work. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for this portion of your word for the apostle. Thank you for pouring your love into each one of us and giving us the grace to then pour that love into others. Please help us to constantly be looking for ways to participate in the building of your kingdom, the spreading of your word, and the edification of your people. Help us also, Father, to cry out to you for direction and to recognize the way you direct us to properly use everything that you give to us. Thank you for it all, Father. We love you, and we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.